Hey, everybody. You know, Mark and I have over 20 years of experience as therapists and as addicts in long-term successful recovery. We know better than anyone what works and what doesn't to break out of porn and sex addiction, heal betrayal trauma, and reclaim your relationship. And we've poured all of our personal and professional recovery and healing experience into a first-of-its-kind program for addicts, spouses, and couples. We call it Dare to Connect. At least four times every week, we engage with you in real time, in the trenches, giving you the knowledge and the tools to take back your life and relationship. Whatever else you've done on your journey for healing and recovery, you've never done anything like this. You know, Mark and I, we've made all the mistakes, so you don't have to. Don't reinvent the wheel. We all know tomorrow never comes. Look, don't wait one more day to change. Claim your free two-week trial today at daretoconnectnow.com. Hey, everybody. I'm Steve Moore. And I'm Mark Castleman. We know the pain and heartbreak of porn and sex addiction. And we know the triumph of breaking completely free. Every day, we help our clients find hope and healing. Join us in the fight to take back your life, your marriage, and be stronger than ever. This is the PBSC Squared Podcast. I was thinking about the podcast we we're going to do today and it occurred to me that there's a bit of a paradox, perhaps. I remember back in my deep, deep addiction days years ago, if I had heard two therapist experts come on to a podcast and say, yeah, we're, we're experts. Uh, we specialize in pornography addiction, healing betrayal trauma, sexual addiction, mending your marriage. Oh, and by the way, we're also porn sex addicts in recovery. And I'd think, uh-huh. well, wait a second. What do you mean you're in recovery? I thought I was talking to experts. I want uh-huh. to be past this thing. I want this thing cured, done, over. How do, that, how do you reconcile the fact that you're experts, but you're still in recovery yourselves? Oh, gosh, I feel the same way. I, I, I'm sure I would have <laughs> said the same thing. I, I mean, it's, it's good to know somebody who, you know, has been there, but, but that kind of current tense would probably throw me off too. So I, I, it's a different for probably you. I'm curious to hear your thoughts, but for me, uh, what I think of is, you know, if I was to kind of put it down into a nutshell, the things that I do for recovery today, because I do work recovery every single day are 90% of those things really aren't so much tied to recovery from the addiction per se as being healthy and connected and goal oriented and all the other things that I, I, I do that I'd like to think help, help me to be a good business owner, podcast host, you know, all those other things. And so, um, they'd all be things, you know, straight out of seven habits of highly part. And so for me, uh, while recovery is, a it is a lifelong journey. Uh, the journey looks very different from beginning to end, you know, for me, and I know for you, both of us been, have been out of acting out in, in addiction for years. You know, we've been free of this thing. We've been doing our own thing and uh, living life normally and healthy. And really, I mean, I, most days I don't even think about acting out, honestly. 
probably virtually, I mean, very rarely does that ever come to mind. Um, probably far less than maybe even a quote unquote normie, you know, somebody who's, who's never met up with that. I, it used to be very much pornography and sex addiction related. I was accessing those things all the time, but uh, having had all that time now, I, for me, I look at recovery and, you know, the long-term journey of this is that you just live a normal, healthy life and you have to maintain a vigilance, uh, you know, and, and kind of keep that, uh, keep that watchman on the tower uh, to safeguard yourself from, from falling back, falling back into acting out. But, but for me, that, uh, that daily struggle is no longer present at all like it was back in the day. My, my recovery is much more preventative now rather than damage control. So that's, for, that's, that's me. Yeah, and I can relate to that. I, if I think back to my, my serious addiction days, I always thought of recovery as an event. Mm-hmm. One day I'll have the event <laughs> of recovery. I'll be cured. I'll be done. And then, and then I can move on with my life. The silver bullet. Yep, the silver bullet. <laughs> And so I, like you, I, I have endless, you know, recovery books on my shelves, positive mental attitude programs, you know, the latest guru that's going to give the, the magical technique. And I tried that for, for years, even for decades. And it never broke me completely free. The thing yeah. I had to come to grips with was that recovery is not an event. It's, it's a way of life. It's, a, it's an approach. It's, it's a set of skills that you've practiced so much that they become an automatic part of your life, just like your addiction used to be the automatic behavior. Now what you do in recovery is your automatic behavior. You don't even think about it. I don't even think about it anymore. Most times. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And so the cool part is, you know, I often say to my guys, Hey, so let's remove the pornography, sexual addiction behaviors for a minute. All virtually all the things we talk about <clears throat> as part of your recovery life, would you, were, are they things you would do anyway? If you didn't have an addiction issue, mm, are they yeah. healthy? Are they successful? Are they happiness, joy related connection? Would you do them anyway? And the answer is always, well, yeah, of course. So when we say we're still in recovery, what it means to me is we seek to live these skills and use these tools every day that bring us um, the best lives that we can imagine. And it stopped being many years ago just you know, narrowly focused on porn or sexual addiction acting out. Now it's, it's just a way of life. And that's what it needs to be in order to be truly effective recovery. I have to be able to live it on a permanent basis. And that that's what works. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, uh, you know, there's, I think there's lots of reasons why, I mean, you and I've talked about this at length, you know, how we, how both of us found ourselves getting caught up in this addiction. And uh, I know you and I were looking at this article today, uh, talking about how, among other things, porn is the quote-unquote perfect stress reliever, and uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, we we chuckled about it then too, and and it is still kind of comical. Um, you know, I I think about uh, about porn being the perfect stress reliever, and and I guess in one way, uh, the article's right. Uh, hear me out. I I you know in the short term, in in my past, uh, you know, porn or other forms of sexual addiction, uh, sexually acting out, we call it. I was it, it very much was a stress reliever for me. I would frequently turn to those, those habits and those behaviors as a way to numb out, cope with, deal with life, uh, medicate, right? Uh, porn and, and sex were, were very much my, my medication, my drug. And, uh, and so in the, in the short term, I would agree because for me, it was 100% dependable. Where it became a problem, right, was that 
like a couple of things. First, it never lasted. All right. It always was, it always was, you know, five minutes, 10 minutes, an hour, a day, whatever it is. And sooner or later you get spat out of that, that cycle out of that fantasy world and reality hits back. And, uh, and you find yourself, not only are you, do you find yourself dealing with the same stresses as before? Cause they didn't really go away, but you're actually dealing with even more. Right. Um, and, uh, and, and for me, you know, when I, when I look at, uh, at when I look at uh, my days of acting out, it really was an escape, which was in, again, in the short term helpful, but in many ways, uh, it was just that it was an escape and a place which kind of infers that I always was coming back to having to deal with those same issues and problems as well as any, you know, emotions of guilt and shame and other things that would come up as a result of acting out. So for me, it was actually, I, in the short term, it is a stress reliever. For me, I found that in the long term, meaning beyond that five minutes or two minutes or day or whatever, it's actually a stress inducer. It raises my stress level, causes me more. Yeah. And as you, you know, as you think of that, I, I look back when I first got pulled into porn and sexual addiction, I think it was about 13, 14 years old. And, you know, Junior high school was a ridiculously stressful time already. Oh my gosh, no kidding. <laughs> but then you add to the fact that, you know, I was a tall, skinny kid. I think, I think when I was 13, I was like six foot three and like 150 pounds, just this, this bean pole. So I was super self-conscious, especially around girls. Uh, I had like a, a, a birth defect, you know, that was pretty obvious that would cause me embarrassment. And I remember when I hit that point of, you know, puberty where I discovered masturbation and, and of course I grew up in LA, the pornography capital of the world and was exposed to it for the first time, I was instantly hooked. I mean, the, the feeling, I remember that feeling to this day. And I thought, wow, I have discovered the be all end all to all of my problems. Mm-hmm. Whenever life gets stressful, whenever I get embarrassed or self-conscious or something hard happens in my day or whatever it is, I can run to this incredibly convenient, powerful, reliable place and I instantly feel better. Mm-hmm. So as we saw this article, right? Porn is the perfect stress reliever. I'm like, well, yeah, sure it is. <laughs> but you're ignoring the other half of the equation, mm-hmm. which is what happens after. What happens after I run to that place? to get my temporary relief. Well, nothing changed. The stresses in my life are still there. All the, all of the pressure and all of the negative, all of the self-loathing and self-hatred and lack of self-esteem, that stuff was all still present after I would come out of that, you know, place of relief. And then I got to deal with it all again and the whole thing would start over. And that's the problem with using porn or sexual outlets as a way to cope with life your life doesn't improve the things Mm -hmm. that are really at the heart of it, you know, that are down at the deep core of the whole thing, not the symptoms, but the causes, they don't change. And so you Mm. still have to face them. And as you and I know, you come out of that uh, acting out, life would hit you in the face again. And what's the first thing you feel? I'm going to escape. I'm out of here. I can't cope with this. And you go right back into the whole process again. And so it's this, right? It's this kind of dog chasing its tail. And I did that for decades because I didn't understand, you know, yeah, you can get temporary stress release, but it ends up actually making things worse and uh, inducing stress, causing more stress, which causes you then to turn to it again and again. You know, and I, and I like what you said, it, it becomes your drug. 
it really becomes a, like a way to self-medicate a drug of choice. Yeah. I mean, I, I, when I, uh, as I'm sitting here thinking about this drug concept, the thing that's coming to mind, like the perfect metaphor for me for, uh, this addiction is, is, you know, any one of those, any one of those drug commercials that we've all seen on TV, you know, for erectile dysfunction disorder, or, you know, any number of other things. And it always, you know, the first half or first third of the commercial is talking about the, you know, the, the two or three benefits that come from the drug, uh, you know, of using it and how it can take care of X, Y, or Z things. But then you listen to the other half or two thirds. And what is it? It's just a bunch of side effects. It's all the negative stuff that comes along with it. So you've, you've, you're medicating one thing or a few things, but trading it in for potentially, you know, 10 other symptoms. And, and not to say that some of those drugs aren't good, but to me, that is so how, how porn looks in my life. Uh, specifically, you know, other forms of sex addiction too. But it's that thing that says, yeah, hey, I will take away these things, but I'm going to cause these 15 other things. And I saw that, it, you know, in my, in my growing up years too, I got into addiction same time you did, about 13, right after my dad passed away in a, suddenly in a plane crash, I was angry and frustrated and had, I was grieving. I had all these emotions that I had no idea what they even were, how to deal with them you know, as again, a 13 year old guy. And it was kind of this perfect storm because right around that same time, you know, it's kind of height of sexual curiosity. I discovered this pornography and masturbation combo. And I was just like off to the races, like, <laughs> because for me, after days and weeks of feeling like I wasn't enough or, or like I couldn't make it and always being sad and angry and frustrated, all of a sudden I would, I would use those two things and it all go away again, for five minutes, right? For 10 minutes, for 20 minutes. And even though it came with these consequences, it started to melt it. That relief, right? Was that was the pull. It was the allure. And, uh, you know, when we look at, at why, uh, porn can be a quote unquote stress reliever, at least in the short term, it, it do, not only does it provide us a, a an escape, right? But it hits on those emotional components of stress as well. I know for me, when I feel stressed out of my mind, the first feeling that always comes to mind for me is feeling overwhelmed. I feel like I've got too much to do. I feel like I, I don't have enough time to do it or I don't have the ability to do it. Um, inadequacy starts to set in for me. And the porn world, that porn sex addiction world becomes that much more an allure because among other things, pornography for me wouldn't just provide the escape, but it helped me to feel powerful. It helped me to feel strong. It helped me to feel like I was quote unquote in control, like I was enough. And, and again, but just like with everything else with the drug, right? Those feelings, however real they were in the moment, were at the end of the day counterfeit. They were fake. And they would always fade. And they'd always be re replaced. Going back to that, you know, our first book, we titled it The Pornography Paradox. It's that, it's that paradox. It's, it's this notion of porn bills itself as giving you all these things. And, but then in most cases, it actually ends up in the long term taking the very things it gives. It's a... The son of a gun, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and and when you're in it, I call it the big mystery, right? Why do I keep turning to this when I know that how much destruction it causes after? Why can't I just say no? Mm -hmm. And myself, I was in that mystery place for for decades. I couldn't explain it. I just thought I'm just I'm just weak and hopeless and ridiculous because people say just stop, just say no. Why don't you just choose different? And I found that no matter what I did, I couldn't. Like I'd grip my teeth and clench my fists and try to resist the urges, sometimes for 
hours or days or weeks or even months. But then eventually the fight exhausts you. And finally you give in. And as soon as you give in, it's like this giant relief. Oh man, I finally don't have to fight this. Mm. I actually feel some relief from the battle. Oh, wow. And of course, right after you feel that relief, the whole thing starts over again. And what I discovered in later years, you know, when I, I took the path of, you know, therapy and research was porn's a drug. It triggers the brain to release its own natural neurochemicals, very much the same as you see with street drugs. Mm -hmm. Massive dopamine, massive endorphins, you know, the brain's own natural morphine painkiller, you know, serotonin, all these wonderful feel-good drugs that are just released in mass when you view that thing or, or engage in sexual outlets. So, of course, it's an escape. Of course, it feels temporarily good. And when we're kids, we discover early on that we can go to that place of instant relief. And once the brain learns that, then that's, that's the habit that it has from, from that point forward. Hey everybody, Mark and Steve here. Are you looking to take your recovery and your marriage to the next level? We work with individuals and couples one-on-one. -on -one. With both in-person and online therapy options, you have access to the experts anytime, anywhere. To learn more, visit us at pbscpodcast.com. You know, as I've, as I've thought about this, I thought, so, all right, so it's a temporary relief, you know, there's consequences, but is it really a big deal? And one of the biggest things for me that I came to learn was that when I was turning to, you know, porn and sexual outlets, whenever life would get hard, what that created for me was it kind of stunted my growth. It stopped my maturity. Mm, yeah. where I should have yeah. been in my growing up, you know, my teenage years, my young adult years, I should have been facing hard things in life, learning to cope with them, learning how to regulate my emotions, learning how to deal with tough stuff. I would run and escape every time. And so it, it kind of developed this immaturity that I didn't gain. And one of the hardest things in real recovery for me is someone said, well, Mark, you realize you're immature. You haven't, you didn't do the hard things along the road. So now you get to do them. Other mm -hmm. people were facing hard stuff, learning to cope with it in healthy ways. And you didn't, you escaped, you ran, you avoided. Now, guess what? You're in your forties and you get to learn how to do all that stuff. You should have learned in your twenties. Yeah, That was a tough thing for me. It's like, Oh, great. So I'm worthless, ridiculous, perverted, and hopeless. Now you're telling me I'm immature. Well, yeah. that's just, that's just great. Thanks a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's confirming your worst fears. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, everything I knew about myself is true. Plus you've just added like four things. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I'm, and, and it's true that that loss of maturity, I can, I can resonate with that. I, I mean, I think back on so many examples of that from my past, but probably the most prominent one that comes to mind was graduate school. I, uh, you know, I got done with my degree, getting ready to become a therapist and was, you know, preparing to take the board exams uh, to where I could, you know, legally go and try and help people. And that test, they had a, a mechanism online where you could schedule it, but you could cancel the test and reschedule it up to like 
12 hours before. And I got out of graduate school really in this positive place of feeling like, oh, I, you know, I've got this, you know, I got great grades. Um, but it went, but when it came time to perform on that exam, I mean, it was, a, it was an intimidating board exam. It was like 400 questions long. Um, for me, I, those feelings of overwhelm, that immaturity that you're describing, it's a great word for it, came up and I found myself putting that test off like seven times. It took me like six months to take that test. And my wife would come home every day from work and, you know, hey, are you on the schedule for the test? And it got to the point where I just, you know, I'd, I'd push it away so many times because I felt overwhelmed. I just didn't have the ability to cope. Like the stress would become too great the night before. I felt like I was just going to be overwhelmed. And I think that that would be a stressful thing for anyone. But because I'd been stuck in this addiction in part for so long, my self-worth was so low, my self-esteem was so low, and my ability to cope with stress was so poor that, I, I mean, I acted out probably more during that six months than I did, you know, few other times in my whole addiction history. So you're right, that, that, that uh, maturity, or rac- rather lack thereof, becomes a self-perpetuating thing, just like everything else in the addiction. And the further you go in turning to the addiction, the more dependent you become come on it because you keep facing bigger and bigger stuff in life and you keep getting more and more reliant on that thing to numb you out, to take you away, to help you to get through whatever it is. And I use you know, quotes with the get through because like we've talked about, we don't really get through it. We just, we just push it aside for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I've thought about that. Uh, my my mentor, uh, Dr. Paige Bailey, who was a, a wonderful neuropsychologist, he he kind of he he explained it to me this way. He says, "Mark, when when things get tough, life gets unmanageable in some way, and you turn to this drug to cope." He said, "Think of it like you're building this scaffolding around yourself, right? You, you you've seen the mm-hmm. buildings when they're working on the buildings and redoing the surface or whatever. All this scaffolding goes up around the building." Yeah. And he said, imagine that you're building this scaffolding, this pornography and sexual outlet scaffolding around yourself and you keep turning to it. And now you can't support yourself. You don't have the strength in and of yourself to cope with life and all the stuff that comes at you. So the scaffolding does it for you, right? Every time life gets hard, I run to my porn, my sexual outlet, scaffolding. It says, now what happens when you get into recovery and someone says, we're going to remove all the scaffolding. And now the building just collapses <laughs> yeah, because it has no strength on its own. And I lacked that strength, that resilience, that, that inner fortitude because I didn't develop it over all those years because I would run and avoid and escape every time. And in our, in our environment, boy, you, you, the only thing I got to do is just push a button on my phone. Instant relief, mm-hmm. instant medication, instant, instant drug flow in my brain. And then when you say, wow, I got to give that up, you mean my run to, go to, reliable, powerful, you know, instant place, that's no longer there. Oh my gosh, the scaffolding's gone and I'm collapsing. And so as we talk about that, you know, one of the things that we've talked about in this podcast is, you know, we could talk this philosophy all day long. Everyone's (laughs) like, great, you've talked philosophy for, you know, 20 minutes. But what do I do? that's what I always used to ask. Great. I understand it better now, but you got to give me something that I can implement in my daily life to start changing this. 
for telling me my scaffoldings, I need to remove my scaffolding and I'm going to collapse in a, in a pile in a heap and not be able to cope with life. How do I start getting strong? How does the process of developing, developing life skills and being resilient, how do you do that? So maybe we could give our listeners, you know, some quick, some quick, simple things they can start doing to develop that maturity, that resilience, those life skills that they've been avoiding all this time. How do you start that process? It's mm, a great question. No, I, I love it. I, uh, this is, this is my wheelhouse. I love talking about this stuff. So when, uh, there are, there are so many things that we're going to share with you guys over the, over the course of this podcast, but probably the first thing that we ought to start with is, is talking a little bit about what we call mindfulness. Now, mindfulness kind of gets a bad rap in some ways. It is kind of one of those existential hippie-ish, if you will, kind of, you know, uh, concepts that I think many of us look at and kind of roll our eyes. I know I did at the beginning of, of recovery when that was suggested to me. <laughs> Just thought, oh, geez, I got to get in tune with myself and blah, blah, blah. But as I, uh, but as I studied uh, more about this addiction, as I began to specialize in it, you know, mindfulness, which is just another way of saying, you know, recognizing and being able to see what I feel and why um, is the first line of defense in, in recovery from really many mental health issues or, or compulsive issues, but definitely with sex addiction. And um, it's, it's, you know, it's interesting, Mark, because and I know you've seen this too so many of the guys that I work with are smart, sharp, intelligent guys. But if you ask them how they're feeling, what do they tell you? What are you talking about? I mean, <laughs> there's only three emotions, aren't there? You're either mad, sad, or glad. I, mean, I don't know what yep. you're getting at here. Oftentimes, I don't even get those. I'll have clients come in and, you know, every week, I, I have a couple of clients who I just kind of, it's almost become a joke because they come in and while the door's open and they're coming in, I'll ask them, hey, how you doing? And they'll always say, good or fine or great or you know whatever and what i do is once i close the door i always say okay so how are you really doing <laughs> because those words say nothing right they say something but they say nothing at the same time and if you really press a guy who's struggling with this because we live so much outside of ourselves because we're escaping so much most addicts don't have the ability to answer that question on the spot they don't even know what they're feeling no, I, I mean, I think back, somebody, they started asking me that question in therapy. I just looked at them with a blank stare, like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> right? And I did the same thing. Oh, how are you feeling? Fine. And then someone pointed out, uh, fine. Oh, that's an acronym, right? Fine. Feelings I'm not expressing. Mm -hmm. I'm fine. And I was, I was the ultimate example of that. I pressed stuff down, sealed it away, put it in little boxes, didn't deal with it. And why? Because every time the feeling started to come up, I was like, oh, I know exactly what to do with this, right? Let's, yeah. go, let's go get some sexual outlets going. Yeah. yeah. Don't have to confront what's really going on. Thank you. Totally. Well, it becomes like, it becomes like kind of background noise, right? It's, you know, we talk about, we'll talk about this more another day, but uh, you know, we, we, you and I talk all the time about how addiction kind of hijacks the brain in many respects. And this is one of those, those cases, right? Just like any other habit can be formed, you know, positive habits can be developed. We can also develop these negative ones. And we develop almost these subconscious responses to where, to certain things in our environment, right? Where those triggers, be it emotional or sexual or whatever is what we call them, those things that cause us to want to act out, they kind of become like background noise. It's almost like you don't even recognize them, right? You're, you're just going along doing your thing during the day and all of a sudden you just have this what feels like a strict impulse to go act out. 
And sometimes, could that be just your sex drive talking? Of course, absolutely could be. We're all sexual beings. But why is it, at, why is it causing you to be compulsive with that behavior? Why is it causing you to go to it again and again and again and in very disconnecting, inauthentic, uh, you know, distant ways as opposed to how you know, healthy sex operates? Um, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree. There's, that, there's just that numbing effect that takes, that takes hold. So if we yeah. talk about the mind, oh, go ahead. No, I was say, so, so to break out of that, if, if my addictions put me on autopilot and I'm just doing things automatically, I'm not, I don't even know what I'm feeling. I just know that I have this overwhelming urge all of a sudden that quote comes out of the blue and hits me from nowhere. It's because I'm completely out of touch with the feelings and emotions and stuff that was rising up, you know, hours or days before that was yep. setting me up for this. Totally. And so we have to become mindful, right, to begin to recognize what's pushing me towards these, these outlets in the first place. Exactly. How do I start to recognize what's causing this instead of thinking that the symptom is the whole issue? Yeah, absolutely. And there are a lot of things that can help with this. A good skilled therapist who specializes in this kind of thing can be really helpful with that. Um, you know, there are 12 step support groups. We're going to talk about those another day or other forms of support that way, but probably the best and most effective way that I know. And the good news is the good news here is that it's, it's free. <laughs> the most effective way to do this is to really begin journaling. Um, in my experience, and I know I definitely fit this bill. Most of the guys that I work with are pretty resistant to journaling. And when you think about what we've been talking about here, about this disconnection and this, you know, not being in tune with self. It makes a lot of sense. Generally speaking, we addicts, we compulsives, because of the shame, the guilt, and our you know other character defects, we call them. We'll talk about those another day. We don't love ourselves for we we don't even like ourselves very much, and we don't love ourselves most definitely a lot. And we part of why we engage in these behaviors is so that we can get away from those feelings. We're constantly running from them. Journaling forces you to sit down and do the exact opposite. <laughs> you have to sit down with a pen and a paper. And set your egg timer. That's what we, I literally have guys do. Because it, it, if you do journaling the right way, the way we're going to describe here in a second, it's going to be pretty uncomfortable. Uh, but, but you sit down and you set that timer for five minutes and you get real with yourself about your day. And not just what happened in the day. Um, those are kind of those typical journals that are, that are oftentimes that people refer to. You know, it's a cataloging of the day. Yeah, those I came, are, I saw, I went, I did. You yeah, know. exactly. And those are great. I mean, but they're not, they're not what we're looking, that's not what we'd recommend here. You're not going to get very far with that. You talk about the things that happened in your day, but more importantly, you talk about what did I feel when those things happened? You know, I talked to my, I, I, I got pulled into my boss's office today and, you know, I felt some fear because I was like, oh gosh, bad things always happen in the boss's office. And then my boss gave me this awesome review and, you know, told, gave me these huge compliments and told me he was looking to give me a raise. So I walked out of there feeling awesome and accomplished and uh, like I was, like I, w I had value. And then I heard, you know, my coworkers at lunch gossiping in, uh, I, I heard, overheard them gossiping about me in, you know, in the cafeteria and my self-esteem, my shame just kind of came up out of nowhere. And I was feeling these negative feelings of anger and resentment, but also like I wasn't enough. And I was right back in that insecure place, right? The reality is, is most of us, I think, go very up and down in our emotional state during the day. But because we operate so much in the cruise control, we all, it all kind of just gets labeled under, oh, it's fine. Oh, it's okay. Oh, it was just a normal day. But the reality is, is that there are things happening throughout the day, like, like you indicated, Mark, 
there are reasons why uh, we are turning to these behaviors that cause us so much pain and anguish. And they have in large measure to do with what we're talking about here. So figuring out what those things are for you is absolutely critical and, and going to be the most effective thing that you can do to start this journey. Yeah. And when, when you journal, you know, I know when I started to try to journal, you know, I thought, oh, great. So does the journal have a little flower pattern on the outside and it has a little gold key that I lock it with? Right. Is it precious? (laughs) You want me to write a diary. (laughs) And I had to learn, you know, that journaling is basically a way to just get these things out on paper that you, we press down, especially as guys, right? You don't show your emotions. Don't let them see you cry. Don't you just, you're just hard. You're, you're, you're macho. You have this, this hard exterior. And this is starting to get to get in touch with these feelings and get them out. The key for me, when I first started to journal, I, I journaled as if I was writing it for someone else who was going to read it. Like yeah. it was for posterity or someone's going to read this someday. And so it was very guarded. And I didn't journal correctly. I, I wrote to be impressive, to show people how smart I was, how worthy I was, how awesome I was. Mm-hmm. And it, it actually was making things worse because I was actually journaling uh, falsely. I was putting on pretenses and masks and it actually made me feel, feel more ashamed. I finally, the thing that really um, clicked for me one day was when someone said, Mark, when you journal, it's for your eyes only. No one mm. else is going to read this. In fact, if you do it yeah. online, password protected. It, this is never intended for anyone to read again. And so don't worry about grammar, spelling, if you feel like swearing, swear. It's your honest, raw, authentic, you know, underbelly that you're getting out and expressing it instead of bottling it up until you have to go look at porn or sexual outlets to deal with it. Yeah. No, absolutely. I, uh, I, I, I have found, you know, I've been doing recovery a long time and so have you. And I, every client that I, I work with, almost without fail, them my journaling regimen similar to this because there are lots of ways to cultivate this skill and they can all be helpful but i can't think of a better quicker cheaper easier way to begin that process and so that's something we're going to invite you guys to do give it a shot uh set yourself a goal you're going to try this for a week five minutes a day really i mean set a timer for most of us it it's so uncomfortable at the beginning i remember when i first started this process i journaled about how much i hated my therapist for having me journal um <laughs> just was i was just frustrated because i didn't want to look at this stuff um but that's a beginning that's a starting point and as you do it it's going to become more comfortable and for the guys that that are willing to take that step take that leap and make it a habit um those guys i i've not had one who didn't say something to the effect of i don't know how i ever did this without this um because it's a really it's something that they actually look forward to and is a connecting part of the day. Yeah. So that's our invitation. Um, instead of, you know, turning to, to porn and sexual outlets as this perfect stress reliever, start exploring healthy ways to, re- to relieve and address what's, you know, feeding that stress, what's causing you to feel the need to turn into this stuff in the first place. And the great first step for that is being mindful, starting to get in touch with my feelings, and most importantly, express them, get them out, get them on paper, right, or on the computer. Give them a place to go so they don't bottle up, and then I have to medicate them through this addiction. Absolutely. 
Well, I think that's a good starting point. Uh, we've got tons of things to cover when, in, in episodes coming up. Mark and I are just so excited to be doing this. Uh, we're excited you're, you're joining us on this journey. And uh, we wish you success with this this week. And we will talk again next week. Talk to you soon. That's all for today. Thanks for joining us. And remember, the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety. It's connection. Together, we can do the impossible. To learn more about Mark and Steve and to listen to more podcast episodes, visit us at pbscpodcast.com. Everything expressed on the PBSE podcast are the opinions of the hosts and the participants and is for informational and educational purposes only. This podcast should not be considered mental health therapy or as a substitute thereof. It is strongly recommended that you seek out the clinical guidance of an individual qualified mental health professional. If you're experiencing thoughts of suicide, self-harm, or a desire to harm others, please dial 911 or go to your nearest emergency room.